Acts chapter 2, I'm going to be reading a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's a lengthier passage, so bear with me. But Acts chapter 2, I'll be starting at the 14th verse. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. Verse 21 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now skipping down to verse 36, it continues. It says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, that God hath made the same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received this word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Scrolling back into the New Test- or Old Testament, rather, if you could turn to Isaiah chapter 6, and I just want to read one verse, and then we'll make sense of all of it. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8, the prophet Isaiah standing in the presence of the Lord, and it says in verse 8, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Uh, This is a message uh, that really has been in my spirit this whole year. Uh, At the end of last year, I started seeing this uh, in a different way. You know, we read passages of scripture, and there's times where you read it for the 15th time, and now you see it just a little bit differently. And so, my message title tonight is, today is not so much a title as it is a declaration. And so today, if you would allow me for the next couple minutes, I'd like to preach to you on the declaration, I am the messenger. I am the messenger. Why don't you look at your neighbor, give them a high five, and say, I am the messenger, and you may be seated. <clears throat> In 1949, John Currier was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison for the murder he committed with his squirrel rifle as a drunken 16-year-old boy. At a young age, every dream and desire for the future was instantly shattered because of one terrible decision. Later, due to good behavior, John was transferred and paroled to work on a farm near Nashville, Tennessee, to live out his sentence, laboring under someone else's control. However, in 1968, Courier's sentence was unexpectedly terminated. 
A letter was sent to him stating that he was a free man and no longer needed to labor day in and day out for the rest of his life. But the only problem is, is John never saw the letter, nor was he told anything about it. Life on the farm was without promise for a future, yet John kept doing what he was told even after the farmer who was working over him had passed away. It was 10 years later when finally a state parole officer learned about Courier's plight, found him, and told him that his sentence had been terminated and that he was a free man. Much like John, this world has been given a death sentence, a sentence that has left them enslaved to the oppressive bondage of sin, a sentence that comes with an eternity of suffering, a sentence leaving them hopeless, empty, and searching for fulfillment. However, a long time ago, a blood-stained letter was written that terminated the contract of death and hell and offered freedom and a future for all who would. We see a portion of that letter in John chapter 3 and 16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 6 and 23 captures another portion of that letter when it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 5 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Aren't you thankful today for that saving grace? Do you remember where you were when, when, when you were hopeless, when you were looking at, at a life and you were empty and you didn't know what the future held, but then God and his grace met you where you are and got a hold of you and all of a sudden the direction and the course of your life ultimately changed because of God's grace, because of his love. I, I don't know about you, but I don't think that that's an old sermon. I don't think it ever gets old talking about the blood of Jesus. When I think about what he's done for me, when I think about how he loved me Despite my wrongdoings, despite the life I live, something inside of me just wells up because I know the things that I've done. I know the life that I've lived and I was not deserving of God's grace. But yet, I've been a recipient of it. There are so many today that are searching and looking for that same experience that we've had. They need to know about that grace. They're, they're looking aimlessly in life, trying to fill a void that only God can fill. They're looking for truth. They're looking for answers. And I think Romans chapter 10 gives us a good depiction of this. It says in verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then in, in verse 14, it, it presents three questions. It says, How then? Shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without a messenger? Say, I'm the messenger. Come on, give me a little more today. Say, I'm the messenger. Amen. The passage of scripture I opened up with today is a, a very familiar passage of scripture. It's the birth of the church. It's the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's the day of Pentecost. But if you would allow me to make this statement, and I'll prove it here in a second, 
I believe that if it wasn't for what Peter did that day, the messenger, that we would read this story a lot differently. And let me show that to you. In Acts 1 and 15, it gives us a picture of what's taking place. It shows us that there are 120 people gathered together in this upper room, and, and they're there as a result of Jesus' command in, John, or, uh, in Luke rather, 24 and 49 when he said, But tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And so we get a, a picture of the apostles up in this upper room together, I can't imagine the emotional uh, ride that they had just been on. Their Lord and Savior had, had been crucified and then resurrected, and, and they're probably not sure what's taking place, but they're there because he told them, you're going to be endued with power from on high. And as they're there, they're in a season of unified prayer. Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 2 that they were in one accord and one place. And then... Acts chapter 2 and verse 2 tells us what takes place. It says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And this is the important part. It says, And they were all, everyone say all. all. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now, you don't understand the context of what's taking place. People are coming back from Passover, and in that moment, they're walking past this upper room, and they hear a loud noise. These are people who have not lived and resided in, 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 in Israel, and so they're coming back, and they speak different dialects, and they're saying, hey, we hear our dialect. We know these people, aren't, they don't speak the way we speak. And so all of a sudden, a crowd gathers around, and they're wondering, what's taking place? What's going on? And so they reach out to Peter and they say, what meaneth this? What are you doing? What's going on? And Peter in that moment has a decision. Is he going to take this experience and just keep it to himself? Is he going to suppress what's taken place with that 120? Did Peter know that 120 is, is a good-sized church? It's, it's an average-sized church. It, it, some might say that that's as many as one man can pastor. Did he, did he think that, Brother Calhoun? Did he think, well, maybe this is a good-sized group here. We can just leave it for us, 120 and no more. But that's not what we see Peter does. Peter realized that that experience, that encounter was, was so powerful that everyone needed to know about it, that it wasn't something that could just stay in that room, but it was something that ultimately had to go out of that room and spread like wildfire. And so when Peter gets the question of what meaneth this, he stands up as the messenger. Say, I'm the messenger. And I want to show two things that I think we can take away as a messenger. The first thing that as, is as a messenger, it's important that a message be timely. Everyone say timely. Proverbs 15 and 23 says, A person finds joy in giving an apt reply, and how good is a timely word. Have you ever had a moment where someone didn't give a timely word? You haven't had your coffee. You're just going into work, minding your own business, and... All of a sudden, your manager says, I need to talk to you. I've been married now for almost 10 years, and I've learned that as a husband, always trying to fix things, that there is power in a timely word. That when my wife comes home from work and she wants to tell me about her day, that she's not always looking for me to tell her how she could do things differently 
or how she should approach it. She doesn't need my managerial expertise. And sometimes it's important for me to realize that I have two ears and one mouth. And I have more of one than the other for a reason. And so I've learned that there's power in a timely response. There's, there's power in a timely word. In, in Acts chapter 2, they, you, you see that these people come to Peter and, and they ask him a couple questions. And in verse 12, they say uh, one to another, what meaneth this? What's going on? While others mocking said to them, these men are full of new wine. You see, there's confusion. There's amazement. But more importantly, there's a question. And this is why timing is so important. Let me first tell you, we're, we're talking about evangelism, right? And when, when we think about evangelism, the first thing is important to know is we don't save people. We, we're not out to be the savior. And so we're not there to, to, to drag people to an altar. No, God is the one who, who speaks to a person. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, it says Paul watered and Apollos, or Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God ultimately brought the increase. And, and so it's God is the one who brings the increase. But, but sometimes we have to realize that our methodologies, we need to look at them a little bit differently. The first thing is we're not called to sell the gospel. As a matter of fact, Scripture tells us to buy the truth and sell it not. How many of you have ever gone to Target and you get your, your stuff and you check out and there's that nice clerk behind the conveyor belt and you're just minding your own business about to go on to the next thing and at the end of the transaction, you know what's going to come. Would you like to save 5% by applying for a Target red card? <laughs> you laugh because you've heard it maybe more than once. And some of you already have that Target red card, but others of you, you just don't want it. And so you're like, no, right? And after hearing it tons of times, sometimes we become very creative in our response, right? You know, niet, nunca, you know, or, or maybe we're not that confrontational. So we, I just need to talk to my husband. I just need to go home. I, I can't make a major, major decision like this without running it past my spouse. Or, you know, this is a major decision, a life-changing decision. So I, I'm going to need some time to think about this, some time to pray about this. <laughs> Reese, you know about this, right? You work for BMO Harris Bank. You're calling people, hey, we have this life-changing product. It could just change the, the course of your life if you would come in and, and, and open this checking account. And, and see, we live in a sales environment, and so we have become so accustomed to just saying no. We don't even know what they're going to sell to us or pitch to us, but we know when it starts, and so we just are conditioned to say no. And then if the salesperson is good, they, they might try to do what's called overcome the objection, right? They use the, the feel felt found, right? I understand how you feel. Others have felt the same way. But what they found is by having this target red card that it can help them travel the world because what you save, right? We're, we're not called to be salespeople, we're not called to, to go to our work and, and say, you know, I, you know, wait, there's more. You can get just a big dose of Jesus. And if you come, you can even get the Holy Ghost. You know, we're not trying to sell this gospel. So say, we're not selling the gospel. The, the second thing is we're not called to defend the gospel. Right? I, I understand that there are environments and platforms that, that a debate is, is good, right? We, we know that... that, that 
that Paul debated in Greece with the Stoics and the Epicureans, and, and we've seen people on a collegiate level debate, but brothers and sisters, Facebook is not a great place. It's not a great platform to debate the gospel. It doesn't matter how vindicated you feel by, by sticking it to that person. At the end of the day, nobody wins a Facebook debate. The other day, I, I was scrolling. I'm a casual scroller, not an often poster. And, and I saw something, and it just made my blood boil. And I felt, I need to say something. And then I started playing out every outcome. Well, I could say this, and I'd feel good about myself. And then I'd check on 10 minutes later, and he'd say this. And then I'd have to respond. And, and then, you know, everyone else is watching and saying, these are two Christians. Look at them. Go, right? And so I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to leave it alone. I'm going to say nothing. And so we're not called to sell the gospel. We're not called to defend the gospel. But what we are called to do is we're called to make disciples. We're called to, to, to make relationships. Because you see, when we create relationships and we all have a sphere and an area of influence, when we go to work and when we go to our family functions or when we go hang out with friends, we have influence in that area. And it's in times like that where we have friends that need to know or want to know something that it comes to the point like in Acts chapter 2 where they say, what's so different about you? Why do you always respond in such a positive fashion? I, I've been watching you and I, I, I see the way you handle stress. There's something different about you. Could you tell me about it? And that's when a timely word just moves in. When I was... I went 10 years to a Christian school, and then the last two years, I went to a public school. And while I was there, I was praying that God would open up an opportunity for me to be his hands and feet. I said, God, help me, Lord. Help me to, to direct my footsteps, Lord. Help me to go. This is my harvest field, Lord. And I remember one day, I went to my locker, and I opened it up, and a note fell out. And if you've heard this story before, forgive me. And I picked it up, and, and it said, I'd love to get to know you better, Tony. And, and so I really didn't know what to think. I, I thought, you know, there's girls on either side of my locker. I figured probably was put in the long, wrong locker, right? I, I don't think a boy would put a note in my locker wanting to get to know me. And so I just kind of discounted it. I threw it in the garbage and just went about my day. And it was probably about a week later. I was um, at home, and the phone started ringing. And I didn't, in those days, I still don't really like answering the phone because it's changed now, but, but back then when I'd answer the phone, people would confuse me with my sisters and my mom, you know, because my voice was a little higher pitched. And so it was, it was really emasculating to answer the phone and say, hello, and people were like, hey, Dolores, and no, no, Melissa, no, Becky, no, Mary, no, David. <laughs> And so I didn't care to answer the phone. Plus, my sisters were always very motivated to answer the phone. And so I remember that night, the phone started ringing. And this was before we had cordless phones. And, and so I, I let it ring like I normally did. And, and, you know, it used to have those phones where when it went to the voice message, you could hear it for the whole house to hear. You could hear what was going on. And so the phone rang, rang, and rang. And I just figured, okay, well, someone's trying to get a hold of us. And they're not going to do it tonight. And and person didn't leave a voicemail. So I thought, Okay, I don't care. Um, going back to do what I'm doing. And so all of a sudden the phone begins to ring and ring and ring and ring and ring again. And, and this time it got to my attention because obviously nobody wants to answer the phone. And so I, this time at least, act like I'm going to make an effort to get up. And I get out of my chair and it ends and I sit back down in my chair. And so it starts ringing the third time. And so this time I mosey my way over to the, the, the room that has this phone. And, and by the time I get there, I missed it. 
And I see that it's the same number all three times. And so I figure, you know what? My dad's been a pastor now for a number of years. It must be an emergency. Somebody's, you know, probably in, in a very rough state or something has happened, a tragedy. And so I'm going to sit here and wait for, you know, this person to call back because obviously they're going to call back. And it wasn't a second or two and the phone started ringing again. And so this time I answered it. And I'm expecting to hear, you know, a voice on the other line that's like, you know, is Pastor Meyer there? I just, you know, we're in a, we're in a state of emergency, DEFCON vibe. We need him right now. And instead it, it said, hi, Dave, this is Tony. I'm like, wasn't thinking that 100%. I didn't know that was going to happen. That totally caught me by surprise. And I said, hi. And he said, did you get my note? And I, then all of a sudden it was starting to click. And I said, I did. And he said, I want to know if you want to hang out with me. And I had been praying that God would open a door. And you would think my response would have been, yes, Tony. But instead, my macho-ness kicked in and I said, dude, <laughs> you're coming on a little too strong. This is not how guys ask other guys to hang out. You know, we usually do it casually, you know. And I said, I'm really busy. I don't have time right now. And I hung up the phone. And immediately God spoke to me and said, haven't you been praying for an opportunity? And it convicted me, and I picked up the phone, and I hit star 69. And I called Tony back, and I said, Tony, you have to forgive me. I'm sorry for the way I treated you. I, that was uncalled for, but I am busy, and I'm very involved in my church. And if you want to get together, we could, we have youth group on Fridays. He said, I'd love to. Tony began to come, and after hanging out a couple of times with Tony, I realized that Tony was lonely. He didn't have any friends. And he connected, we connected him to the body of Christ, and he started to find friendship, and God filled him with the Holy Ghost, and he was baptized in Jesus' name. But how often do we miss those timely words? How often are people just saying the right things, and we're just not attuned, brothers and sisters, to hear it? I remember another time when I was at work, and... and, and Sometimes most of my stories are how I get it wrong, but God is faithful. And I remember I was sitting down with a lady, and she was kind of nasty. And I was just trying to get her out of the office. And she got up and had to run to the restroom. And as she was doing that, the Lord spoke to me and said, you have no idea what's going on in her life. And she came back, and, and I changed my whole attitude. And I started to ask questions about her. Here's a lady who is rough around the edges, but as I began to talk to her, I began to hear the, the, the frustration and the hurt in her voice, and it came down that her husband and her had gotten into a fight, and he pulled a gun on her, and then when he realized the errors of his way, he killed himself right in front of her. Here's a woman who was broken. Here's a woman who was needing Jesus, who was, who was needing a hope, and brothers and sisters, we, we face these opportunities every day. There are people that are looking, that, that, are, are, that are wanting Jesus, that are wanting something. And, and a lot of times they maybe don't even know what they need, but they know they need something. And they try to fill that void with all sorts of things, prescriptions and, and drugs and alcohol and, and relationships and, and, and careers. And, and they realize real quickly that, that all those things are just a substitution that will ultimately leave them feeling empty in the long run and never really meets a need. Right. It's only a need that Jesus can fill. You know them. If you close your eyes, you, you begin to see the people that, that you talk with on a regular basis. You know the conversations. And, and God is calling you to be the messenger 
to those people. He's put you in that area. He's, he's given you influence with those people because you are the messenger. Say, I'm the messenger. So first, we have to have a word that's timely. And the second thing is, it needs to be truth-filled. It needs to be truth-filled. Peter is so methodical in how he presents the gospel in Acts chapter 2. He, he didn't get up that day and present opinion. He, he didn't say, here's what I think is happening Allow me to just talk with you right now. No, we see that Peter gets up and, and he presents the word of God. He realizes that everyone there understands the word of God, and so he draws from the prophets. He said, this is that what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And these people who are, who are, are Jewish and they understand, they start, to, they start to get the connection. They realize, that, oh yeah, I understand what's happening. And then he takes it to today and says, this is what's happening. What you're seeing right there was a prophecy from the prophet Joel. And they begin to put the connection together and they see, oh, I see it now. I, I see there, there's something bigger because he used the word of God. And then the second thing he uses was his experience. In Acts chapter 2 and 32, he says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. He said, you were there. You were a part of this. You've experienced. And so today we have the same thing. We have, we have the word of God, and we have our experience. I want you to realize something. After this takes place, we see them ask a second question. It says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts. And said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Right. You see, the first question was a question of curiosity. The second was a question of conviction. They, they first wanted to know what's going on. And as the word began to come against them, it began to convict. It began to get down deep and they realized, we got to do something about this. Right. This is a word that demands a response. And so... Today, our message needs not to be one of opinion. It needs to be truth-filled. John 8 and 32 said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, we live in a society, you, you hear it every time you turn on the radio, fake news. The media has been brought into question about fake news, and, and we keep hearing things, and we read stories, and we don't know, is this truth or is this fiction? Today, the world doesn't need more fake news. They need the good news. Amen. Let me say that again. They don't need more fake news. They need the good news. They need to know about the death, the burial, and the resurrection. They need to know that there was a Savior who robed himself in flesh and came down with a purpose to die for their sins so that they could have life and that more abundantly. We need the good news today. We need to let people know that they can identify with the good news. Just as Jesus died, you can die to your sins through repentance. You, you, can, you can take a 180 degree turn and, and whatever you were going towards, you can make a decision that I'm going to move in the opposite direction. And so you, like Jesus, can die to your sins and, and you can be buried like he was buried by being buried with him in baptism. Baptism in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins, being totally buried with him, buried underwater, right? It's total immersion. We, when we get buried, when people get buried, our loved ones, we don't just sprinkle some dirt on them, no? No, they dig a hole and they put them in there and they totally bury them. And that's how we need to be buried. And we need to be buried in the name of Jesus, the only saving name. And lastly, we can identify with him through the resurrection, by receiving the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. 
It's an outward expression of an inward experience. And I'm here to tell you today, if, if you haven't done any of these things, if, if maybe you've repented of your sins, I commend you for that. That's awesome. You're on the right track. But what would stop you today from being baptized in Jesus' name? Or, or maybe you've been baptized in Jesus' name, but you haven't been filled with the Spirit. Today is an opportunity. There's a scripture that says, today is the day of salvation. Right now is the appointed time. And today is an opportunity for you to respond to what you feel, to step out and allow God to meet you. The last thing is, is experience. Experience. Each one of us has a testimony. Each one of us can go back and, and if I were to pass this microphone around the room, I, I would hear different unique stories. Stories of, of, of what you have come through. Stories of, of, of a past that maybe was dark. Uh, stories of, of, of just situations in your life and then God met you. We live in a postmodern generation, and, and at times we, we try to use this as the commonality. We try to say, well, it's in the Word of God, but there are times when you're going to get into experiences with people where they're going to say, I don't even believe this. But in a postmodern generation, they value experience. And you can rise up and say, but let me tell you what I've experienced. Let me tell you what's happened to me. Let me tell you how I received the Holy Ghost and Jesus came in and all of a sudden everything changed. Everything changed. I, the, the other day, a couple weeks ago, uh, a young lady who used to be a student in my youth group called me Monday night at 9 o'clock and she said, David, I, I, can you help me? Can you meet me at the church? I, I have someone that wants to be baptized. And I said, what happened, Kim? She said, I was having Bible study tonight and, and as, as we were getting into Bible study, all of a sudden mom and dad came into the room. And we didn't expect them to be there. And, and all of a sudden, I just went around the table and said, tell me what God's doing in your life. And this man began to break down, this macho man that I had seen before that was reserved, that was arm's length with everything. He began to weep and talk about how he was planning to kill himself that day. And his son called him and said, Dad, I love you. And it changed the course of his plans and so he decided, you know what, I need to do something. And so he came to that Bible study and he felt Jesus and he said, I need to do something. I need to make a change. And she said, you need to be baptized tonight, sir. And he said, if that's what I need to do, I'm going to do it. And so we baptized him at 9.30 at night in the, in the waters of baptism. And when he came out, he was a changed man. He looked different. It looked like a load was, was taken off of his shoulders. And I said, who's next? Who's next? And his wife said, I want to go next. See, that's what God wants to do. He wants to change people. He wants to transform people's lives. We don't want people, people who are, are being so conformed to society, but they need to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. We are the messenger. We are the messenger. Shall we stand? I opened up reading... Romans chapter 10, you can go ahead, brother, and put them on the, on the altar. No, that's great. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, it said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then remember, we talked about those three questions. How will they call on him if they've not believed? And how will they believe in whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? But verse 15 continues, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. We're the messenger today. In Isaiah chapter 6, we, we get this awesome encounter we see that Isaiah has with the Lord. 
He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. He has an encounter with God. And at that encounter with God, he realizes something. He realizes that he says, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. He realizes in the presence of the Lord, there's some things he needs to get rid of. So it says the angel comes and touches the coal to his lip and his, his guilt is gone and his sins are forgiven. But then, after all that's done, up until this point, he's interacting with an angel, but all of a sudden, in verse 8, he hears the voice of God. First time, after his guilt is gone, after his sins forgiven. And the voice of the Lord says, Who will go for me? Who shall I send? And I, I have to imagine that in that moment, it didn't take a lot of thought on Isaiah's part. I imagine as soon as the question was asked, he knew the response and he lifted up his hand and he said, here am I, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. But you see, when a question is asked directly to you, it's easy. Because when I ask you, Reese, a question, the burden of response lies on you. But it's an, another thing entirely different when we're in a setting like this. And we hear the word of the Lord, we hear what's going on, and it's easy to deflect responsibility onto somebody else and to give reasons why I'm not the messenger. It's easy to say, well, I don't understand the, the word of God like pastor does. I, I don't really, really, I'm not that bold, I'm shy. And we begin to discount ourselves and, and our role in this. But brothers and sisters, we've all been called to be his witnesses. We've all been called, Matthew 28, 19, is, is the commission to go. Acts 1, 8 says we've been given power to be his witnesses. In Matthew 9 and 36, we see Jesus. And it says in verse 36 that he's moved with compassion because they are faint. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. He, he looked at, at the, the broad spectrum of, of the crowd and he saw that they needed what he had. He realized that there was a lot of people that needed to know. But he then calls his disciples aside and says in verse 37 something that really stands out. He says, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. He, he doesn't say that the deficiency is in the harvest. He doesn't say there, there are just so many people. I had someone come to me a while back and said, there's just not enough people that need to know about Christ. I've exhausted every person. I said, I, I find that hard to believe. Because we see here that the problem isn't that there's just so many or so few lost people. No, there's so many people that are, are searching. But the problem is that the labors are few. He says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth labors into the harvest. You see, Jesus had compassion on the crowd, but yet was so often left to challenge the congregation. He looked at the crowd with compassion, but then he looked at those who should have it together, and he said, come on, guys. And so today, it's a little bit of a different altar call. It's an altar call with homework. So often we come down to the altar and we, we, we ask God to, to change us, to let the word just saturate our lives. And, and I think a message like this, not just because I've preached it, but, but because of what the word of God says, I think this is not uh, one of those words that we need to say, God, is this for me? 
Sometimes we ask the wrong questions. It's not, God, do you want me to tell others? But, but sometimes we need to come down and say, God, help me. God, give me boldness. God, I pray that I have apostolic authority when I walk into my work on Monday. God, help me to have a passion for the lost. And so today I want to invite you forward. And, and after you're done praying, there are prayer guides that I want to encourage you to take with yourself. And the prayer guides are twofold. The first part is personal prayers for me. Let's pray for God to give you a love for the lost. Pray that God's love will help you destroy any fear that's in you. Pray that God would help you see people through his eyes. But then the second half is for you to fill in that person in your life, that person that's going to be your disciple. And it's say, pray God to open the heart of blank. Pray that God would give blank a love for the truth. I'm praying for Rami. I met Rami a, a year or so ago in the mall, a Muslim man. I was, wasn't intending to buy anything from him, but I just felt drawn to that little kiosk. And as I saw Rami and we began to talk, he said, what do you do for a living? And, and I said, well, I'm a pastor at a church. And his eyes got huge and he said, I've been praying that God would send a minister. He said, I'm, I'm so entrenched in Islam and, and I feel such a darkness. But when I, when I think about Jesus and I have a girlfriend now who's Catholic and, and I went once and I saw a light. And I realized that there's something different that I need to do. And so Rami and I, a week later, started a Bible study in the middle of Brookfield Square Mall, in the middle of that kiosk. I bought him a Bible. And we began to talk, and, and I began to share the Word of God with Rami. And, and unfortunately, after that Bible study, some of his friends found that he had the Bible. And he called me and he said, David, life has been a little tough for me. He said, you don't realize, my, my parents don't live here. You don't realize the repercussions of if I've made this change. So I keep reaching out for Rami. I, I keep praying that God would bring Rami truth. God would use me or use somebody else. It doesn't have to be me. And so I want to invite you forward today. Invite you forward today to make a decision. God, I want you to use me. God, I want you to help me, Lord. I want you to strengthen me, God. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would touch, God, each person under the sound of my voice. God, I pray you'd help them today, Lord. I pray that, God, you would do a work, Lord, in their lives. God, you have given us so much, God. You have Lord, allowed us to have life. Lord, you've allowed us to, to have your spirit living inside of us. God, I pray that we would be your witnesses today. God, I pray that perfect love would cast out any fear. Lord, that we'd walk in the giftings, God. Jesus, we can't do this on our own. So, Lord, I pray today for each person. I pray that you would well up in them boldness, God. Pray, God, that you would give them a passion, Lord. Lord, as they look at the people in their work, God, the people in their office, God, let them see, God, friends, God, let them see coworkers that are in need of something, God. Let them realize that you have given them the solution. God, I pray today, help us, Lord. That's it. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, we praise you today.